Last week, we talked, we, we sort of finished, I say sort of, <laughs> choose my words carefully, Second uh, uh, Peter, the epistle of Second Peter, we went through the whole third chapter last week, um, and I want to take the opportunity to go over the last verse one more time and, and bring it to a little bit of detail. Uh, because it has some important things there to say, and I, I don't want us to miss them. And then, of course, you know very well, because I love to speak and think and ponder the idea of grace. I can never get enough of it. And when I read about grace, I just love to read about it, because grace is so... Um, contrary to the natural, so contrary to the flesh, so contrary to our lower nature. It speaks clearly and points clearly to the Lord, uh, grace. And so grace is a spiritual power that I'd like for us to talk about this morning a little bit. Uh, This is the biggest portion of the message this morning, but we'll talk about the whole verse and, 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 and see what it has to say. Um, so we look at each word in the, in the, in the verse, uh, and see what understanding we get from it. Um, I think that we need, uh, some of the words that we'll spend just a little bit of time on and other words that we spend more time on. For example, the word, but that the verse starts with, um, we, we won't spend a lot of time on that. We'll just tell its purpose, and so on and so forth. And then when there's a word grow that we might spend a little bit more time on, so we have the right idea about growing. Um, And then, of course, as I said before, the biggest portion of it is going to be about grace, and then a little bit about knowledge, and so on and so forth. Um, So let's let's get started. If we put on uh, the, the verse, then we'll see about how many things we need to talk. We'll see there, uh, but, grow, grace, knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. So, as I said, some of the uh, words or phrases we'll spend more time on than others. So, let's look at the word, but. But. But is a connecting word that connects two phrases or two verses in this instance or, or whatever, two sentences even, or two portions of sentences. And usually the, it connects two opposite uh, contrasting portions. Uh, many times it starts on the negative, then it goes but the positive. Or it starts in the positive, comma, but the negative. So here it's... In verse 17, since it's connecting verse 17 and verse 18, it speaks in verse 17 about not falling from your steadfastness because of the false teachers and the false prophets that will come in our midst, especially they are already in our midst, not here in our midst per se, but in the midst of Christian folks. Um, But in the end times, it's going to be much more and with much more subtlety uh, and greater force. So he says... Your steadfastness, 
You, you are steady in the Lord. Don't let it slack because of those teachers, is what it says in 17. And, so, and 18 says, but don't let it slack, don't let it wane, don't let it decrease. But on the other hand, grow. So don't not, he's not even saying stay stationary. He's not even saying, hey, don't fall from your steadfastness, period. He is saying, don't fall from your steadfastness, but instead, grow. Are you with me? So, and then, it stands to reason that we look at the word grow. Because when people talk about growing, I sometimes think that we are not understanding or have not the same understanding as what we're talking about. Uh, For example, um, and and I might even ask you some questions today and see what you have to say about the matter, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk about it and see maybe uh, we get to a better place that way, if I think it's beneficial or whatever. Um, So, grow. When somebody asks you, Is your church growing? What do they mean? This is a question to you. How many people you have coming, and is that increasing? Okay? It talks about the number of people. Yes? Is that that true? Is that when the people ask you, is your church growing, is that what they mean, you think? Okay. In general, in general, in general. So the answer is right. That's my experience. When they're asking you, is your church growing? That's what they mean. Are there more people coming week by week or month by month or whatever? More people. Or another way that they might ask it is, is your church growing? That is to say, how is the church doing financially? The budget. Is your budget small or great? Uh, so, so therefore, I feel like I need to explain a little bit what the word grow means. Um, when you have a tree that is growing, and it is supposed to bear fruit, at some point, it doesn't matter how tall the tree gets, if it doesn't bear fruit, right? You're looking for the fruit, uh, So there is these trees that have been planted in front of the royal palace in England. And some years ago, there was a rain like we had, that we've had here. And there was some wind blowing, not even a big storm. And several of the trees keeled over. Boom. And they were wondering, why did the trees keel over? Well, because it didn't have very deep roots was not stable. They were watering it so much on the surface that the, the roots didn't have to go deep to find water and just they stood at the surface. So there was no stability to the true. A small wind killed it over. I don't want us to grow like that. Amen. That a small wind will kill us over. Uh, so when it's talking about root, uh, roots of, uh, growing over here, it talks about not only width and height, But it talks a lot about roots, deep, deep. So are we growing deeper? 
Are we growing more stable? And are we growing such that we are fruit bearers? So that we can uh, duplicate ourselves. So that those who come afterwards can uh, have learned from us. And they are fruit. I'm talking about in this particular, the fruit of discipleship. We have also fruit as far as evangelism is concerned. That other people, because of our testimony and our words, are coming to find Jesus Christ. And so they are, they are duplicated that way. Uh, but there's also, you know, the, 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 the verse that we are so proud of as, 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 as Baptists is, uh, is the verse that talks about what we call the Great Commission. When it talks about go evangelize and, and, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, and teach them to observe all things which I have commanded you. So there is not only the element of evangelism in that verse, there's also the, the, uh, the element of teaching those who have been evangelized. Are you following me? Okay. So, and I've never had a baby. <laughs> My wife had them. But some of you have had babies. I don't know if you agree with me. But I, so I can't speak with authority on this. <laughs> but so I'll ask the question. And then you can answer the question to those who have born babies. Which one is easier, in your opinion, to give birth to a baby or to grow a child into maturity? That was, thank you. To grow them into maturity is very difficult. So I I don't want to, I don't want to belittle having a baby. I don't want to belittle evangelism because it is not to be belittled. Because evangelism is one of the pillars of Christianity. Unless we share the gospel with other people, then we are not obeying God. In the sense that he wants more people to come to him. And he has seen fit to use us to do it. So I don't want to belittle. But there is a a, a great need for those who have come to Jesus. For them to be raised up. For them to be grown. So that they might be fruit bearers. In the sense that those who have already come to Jesus Christ, that they bring fruit to them by discipling them, by showing them the way. The problem sometimes is, and I'm, I'm, I'm venturing out a little bit from where I want to go, but the problem sometimes is with us is that we think we need to have some great education to disciple somebody. Some great training. We need to be wonderful, great, adult, mature, complete Christians to be able to do that. Nothing is further from the truth. 
Do you know, we had six siblings in my family where I grew up. I was the second child, the first son. And the, the ones that came after me, so there was four of them, uh, many times my older sister and myself, we taught them the ropes. We taught them the way on the instructions of my mom. And she would say, hey, go do this with them and go do that with them. Kenneth is what they call me in my, in my, in my family. Kenneth, go take Anton to your room and make sure he does his homework. Anton, come to my room, and we're going to do the homework. So it, it was not my mom that did the homework with him. So in other words, I'm trying to tell you that in the Christian circles, you don't have to be Charles Swindoll to, to, <laughs> to disciple a brother or a sister. You just have to be a bigger brother, an older brother, or an older sister. And off you go and disciple them. Somebody said that ministry is giving to others what you have received from Christ. Whatever you have received from him, you give it to somebody else. He, the thing is, he keeps giving you, so you can, so you can keep, continue to give as well. Where was I? <laughs> growing. So, so there is, in growing, there is a real element that cannot be shortchanged or misevaluated or whatever. That is to say, spiritual growth. To teach people how to walk like Jesus. There is a guy named Juan Carlos Ortiz. He's from Argentina. He lives now in California. In my early Christian days, he had a great, great, his teaching a great influence on me. And he spoke of many churches as, they're not growing, they're just getting fat. They're just growing like this. There was no depth to them. They didn't grow spiritually. They were just getting fat and lazy, and they had the numbers, they had the budget, they had the building, and that was it. There was no depth to them. That is not what I want. I, I want to be sort of like Jesus. He had like 12. And they grew. And grew and grew, except for one. Then he was replaced. And some of those wrote what we have now as part of the Bible. So, uh, yes, I understand deeply that numbers are important. You have to pay the bills, the electricity, the insurance. But if I would have, if I only had to the, the, the privilege of choosing one, I would choose spiritual growth for my people every day. Amen. Every day. For people to be able to walk in victory. Grow. Grow. Um, then now we are at grace. Oh my goodness. A grow in grace. This is, Peter is not making a suggestion here for us to grow in grace. He is not giving us some advice. It is a word from the Lord that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in grace. Grace is one of those things that um, I just love talking about grace. Most of the time, 
I cry a little bit when I talk about grace. Or when I read about grace. It is so profound and so amazing. And I consider it one of the, the greatest virtues. It is not the greatest. Love is the greatest. But love and grace are very closely related. Uh, one of the great virtues in Christian life that make us uh, effective. That make us like Jesus. That makes us different. That makes us uh, visible. That makes us conspicuous. That people take note. Stunned by your reaction of an insult or an unfairness or whatever it may be. Stunned at your reaction because of the grace of God that he has put in your life and that you feel certainly responsible and privileged to be a dispenser of. My dear brothers and sisters, so the word grace has different meanings in the scriptures. Um, sometimes it means lovely. Sometimes it means a beautiful, uh, a graceful dancer, or gracious words. Um, we even use it in our day, daily talk as saying grace. That's one meaning. But the meaning that I want to talk about today is, is the meaning of grace that is used of, of, of God, God's grace, and that grace that we understand that has been bestowed upon man for man not only to be a possessor of, but to be a dispenser of. Are you following me so far? Okay? And it is huge. It is huge. So, let us, let, let's think about this word grace. This is not an abstract idea of the God that we serve. Oh, God's grace. What a wonderful idea. Good for God. <laughs> but it's an idea, it is a phenomenon that caused God to action. Compelled him to do something of those whom he loves and who are bound by sin that he would send his only begotten son to die for us. A most cruel death. Because God, the grace of God compelled him to do that. Because grace costs somebody, not the recipient of that grace, costs them nothing. It's free. Because somebody else paid for it. Amen. Somebody else paid, paid for that favor. Paid for that blessing. Paid for that grace. So, the word says that, uh, by, for by grace are you saved through faith. That word grace over there has the idea that, that it, it took the grace of God to compel him to save us. And therefore, uh, send his son to the cross. That was Ephesians 2.8. 
Let us look at Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. I'd like for us to look at that real quick. Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. And, and see what it says. Ephesians 1. In him, the previous word had to do with Christ. So in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. And if you read the, this portion of the, of the verse, you automatically know that it's about Christ because it talks to redemption and it talks about his blood. Uh, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he had made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So this grace he had made to abound toward us. So we talk first about God's grace that compelled them to save us. And now he's talking about, Paul is talking about God's grace that abounded toward us. Now, it's interesting because when God, you know, with us, God has language to communicate, yes? Yes? Uh, even when he speaks to you and to your heart, it is with language, right? It is not code or whatever. It is with language that he communicates with us. So when he talks to us, I think it is important to investigate a little bit what God is saying. Is everybody comfortable or are you a little cold? Okay, comfortable. Um, so let's investigate a little bit. We, we, we don't have time to go over all that, but I just want us to look at the, the, the uh, uh, abound toward us, that, that grace abound toward us. The word abound over there has the idea of... Um, that he lavished his grace upon him, uh, upon us. Lavished. He showered us with that grace. He gave us supersized grace. The grace that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. A supersized grace, an extraordinary sized grace, he showered upon us. And the word toward over there is, uh, is, the, is a particular Greek word that is not just saying that last week we talked about, or maybe the week before we talked about a speech that would impart grace to somebody or that would be, uh, give grace to somebody uh, in speaking to them. And the word impart was interesting to me because it meant to me that when I speak to Bronwyn, not only what out comes out of my mouth that reaches Bronwyn is gracious, but that what comes out of my mouth would enter, would impart in her something, in her inside something called grace. So the same thing here, the word toward over here, is not the idea that we took a, we took a shower and then we wiped off, and then that was it. No, we took a shower, and it overwhelmed us, that grace, and went into us. It was just a shower that, and you dry off, and it, it, it's, it's gone. No, it was, came upon you and into you. And that is lovely to me because that this grace of God then, that he has made available to me. And this is a huge privilege. 
that God would empower me with such a power as grace that I might be a distributor of that grace as well. My dear brothers and sisters, I think when Peter says, grow in grace, he knows exactly what he's talking about. That we need to grow in grace. We need it. We, we, we are not good at it. We're not good at it. Is that a fair statement? That was one or two of you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I offended everybody else because everybody is great at, at grace. Grow in grace. We all need to grow in grace. Because when we are graceful people, gracious people, full of grace, we will rock the world. This is what we read in the book of Acts when it says that they turned the world upside down. It is when your world, when you turn something that is upside down, when you turn something that is upside down, upside down, it's right side up. This is what is happening. When you are people of grace, a world out there that is upside down, you will turn it upside down so it becomes right side up. That's what God has in mind for us. And this grace is a phenomenal power. Phenomenal power. And it is a power of God that comes by the Holy Spirit and you cannot just imitate it. You cannot just fabricate it, manipulate it, or whatever. It is from God. He gives it to you. And when you submit yourself to Him and to that grace that He's given you and you commit yourself to be a dispenser of it, God will make it, a, make it, make it possible for you. Give you the ability to do it. Amen. And it's beautiful. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I have to be careful sometimes with my accent. I say it's beautiful. Somebody might have understood pitiful. But I, I, that's happened to me before. <laughs> yeah. Teaching a tennis lesson. And this was years ago. And the lady was not doing that good in the beginning. And about halfway through the lesson, she did a little bit better. And she placed a beautiful shot. I said, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And her face remained serious. I say, what's the matter? She said, I thought you said pitiful. So, no, no, beautiful. So these days I have to be a little bit more careful. I say, beautiful, a little bit, with a little bit more emphasis. Instead of people understanding it being pitiful. But as grace is... It's the most wonderful thing. It turns things around. It turns difficulty into things that are beautiful. It turns turns arguments into... Well, anyways, I can't say that, but... um, It turns things around. But without grace... We have, the, uh, we, we have the, the, the consequences 
of things just staying like they were and get worse. So, let me, let me first go here in, what? What time is it? 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock. So let me first go with you in, in this arena and ask you, have you heard of this grace that I'm talking about, right? So I'm not talking about saying grace. I'm not talking about graceful dancing or whatever. This grace that we just have talked about. Uh, do you have a definition of it that you like, that you're satisfied with? Yes, somebody. You've heard. I have definition? Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Hey, that, 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 that's, that's grace. We, that we take for granted so much. Right. Yes, yes. Somebody else. Yes. God's riches at Christ's expense. So, grace is spelled G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a pretty good, pretty good definition. Anybody else? God's unmerited favor. These are the definitions that you usually hear when you ask for a definition. And, and that's fine. But in my mind, when I think about grace, it doesn't even express half of it. I will explain myself. And you can agree or disagree with me. No problemo. But I just want you to know where I'm coming from. Because you see, when... This is Oscar over here. Raise your hand, Oscar. This is Oscar. Oscar. Okay, that's good. Uh, Oscar would be quite okay without riches. Would you be okay without riches? (laughs) Or wealth or whatever. You'd be okay. So when you talk to somebody about God's riches at Christ's expense, that person might have the attitude, I would be quite okay without riches. Or, uh, what was the other one? God's unmerited favor. Somebody could say to you, well, I'm okay without a favor. I'm okay. But that's not true. That's not where we are without God's grace. We are not like we are at a place where we have something but we're lacking God's riches, and in His grace, we'll get His riches. We're not even there. We have nothing. We have nothing but debt. We're way here, and can never come even here without His grace, let alone get His riches. Are you following what I'm saying? So, there is a place in your definition of understanding and expressing that Uh, A debt was taken care of. Are you with me? A great debt that you could never pay off had been taken care of. So I ponder this stuff a lot. I think about this stuff a lot. And I want to come up with an idea of of, of a definition of grace that, that can sort of work maybe a little bit better than what I've heard in the past. 
So I'm pondering, and, and, and this definition has grown over time. Uh, so I don't have to go through all that, but I, I should just I share with you. And you have heard it many times. So if you don't know it by memory yet, then just hear it one more time. And then maybe you know it by memory, then you don't have to complain for me repeating it so many times. <laughs> Taking the initiative to give a blessing or to be a blessing joyfully and freely to someone who deserves the opposite at my expense for the total purpose, for the purpose of total exoneration. See, here is, is one of those words that has to do with that you were in debt, but you were exonerated. The word uh, exonerate has that in it. Unto vic- victory. So you have been exonerated, and we're not done with you yet. You've been exonerated, but we wish you victory. Victory! Woo! Victory! Even though you deserve the opposite. I'll say it again. Taking the initiative in being a blessing or giving a blessing. Freely and joyfully. This is not begrudgingly. Freely. This is not costing that person anything. It's costing you. Freely and joyfully. To someone who deserves the opposite. At my expense. For the purpose of total exoneration unto victory. So, so then, my understanding of grace is that I'm not waiting for you. I'm not waiting for you, though you did me harm and caused me pain. I'm not waiting for you to commit me halfway. I'm not waiting for you to commit me anyway. I go the all the way. Jesus went all the way. And not just a little way, all the way from heaven. He came all the way. So uh, I take the initiative to be a blessing. Or to give a blessing. You could use another word for blessing if you wanted to. It's not so sacred word that, that you, you can use other words. Uh, joyfully. It, 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 it is not begrudgingly just because you hurt me. Now that would never hurt me. But, but, but uh, you know, if she hurt me, I'm not coming begrudgingly. Well, God told me I should show her grace. You lost it right there, my friend. <laughs> right there it ceases to be grace. So I come joyfully and freely, and I consider it a great privilege to show you grace, even though you deserve the opposite, and even though it cost me, it cost me maybe pride, time, money. It doesn't matter. It's it's about grace. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about me being a testimony, a witness of of the goodness of God. And, sorry about that, sweetie, but... I didn't mean you were so close. I bumped you over that. Maybe you know, like this. Uh, so, at my, at my expense, for the purpose, I don't do it so I make her, her feel worse about the pain that she caused me. 
you should learn a lesson, okay? I'm going to do something nice to you so you feel worse about doing... No, this is not exoneration. Exoneration means no shame, no blame, no guilt, no fear, no nothing. It is my purpose to set you free from that, sister. No more in prison of that shame. And all I wish for you is victory. So, where am I? Where am I? <laughs> oh, okay, there it is, exoneration. So, the word exoneration, it means, it comes from a, a word called exonorare. Uh, honorare means load or something like that. And then ex means out, right? Is that exit, out. Uh, so, ex honorare means that you have been released from a burden, it, it, it speaks about two burdens, a, a, a heavy burden, and it speaks also about the burden of shame and guilt. So it is my purpose to set you free from that. And that is God's purpose. So when you walk around because you have done something wrong, and you're walking around like this with guilt, I'm going to tell you, shape up brother, shape up sister. You cannot be walking around like that. Hey, Take God up on His grace. He doesn't want you to walk like that. Because in a couple of hours, you'll do something, something bad. And you're thinking of something. You'll be walking like this all your life. Get up. Be effective for Christ. This way you're not effective for Him. Walk in His grace. Because you see, otherwise, Satan has a double one on you. He costs you. He, he, a, a triple one, actually, okay? Let me, let, me, let me explain myself. He caused you to do something wrong. Or he caused you, he tempted you. Let me put it this way. You caused yourself, but he, he tempted you to do something wrong. What God wants you to do is confess your sin and keep going. Be, be available to him to be effective for his kingdom. But no, Satan gets you another one. You should be ashamed of yourself. Aren't you a Christian? Yes, I'm ashamed of myself. How long do I have to be ashamed? How long do I have to be ashamed? So, okay. Let me move on a little bit and say this. In our Christian walk, how long does it take, my brothers and sisters, for grace to show up on the scene? How long does it take? Your wife said something ugly to you? How long does it take for your grace to show up? Your husband said something ugly to you? How long does it take for your grace to show up? A day? A week? A month? Huh? <laughs> Never? Oh, that, ha- that happens too. That, that happens too. As a matter of fact, I have some examples for you if we have time. Uh, and we have a little bit of time. Uh, I, I have some examples for you uh, about this situation. Uh, there's all kinds of stories. If you ever want to read a good book about grace, it is by Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? It will change your life. God will change your life. But he'll use that book in your life. I promise you. Uh, so anyways, 
So, uh, where were we? Ali, remember where, where, where I was? Uh, okay, so let, let me, so may I give you a few examples? I, I think it's time for, for me to give you some examples. So there is a double release when it comes to grace. There is a release of my pain, and there is a release of your pain. If we go back to our Nelda, Nelda and I, our, our example, so I forgive Nelda because if I don't forgive Nelda, it will be a burden to me. Right? I forgive her and I'm set free of it. Happens all the time. I advise people all the time. Forgive them. Forgive her. Let it go. What are you holding on to for? So I'm released from my pain. But in a real sense, Nelda is also released from her pain because there's no more shame or guilt or any of that stuff on her. A double release. A double release. So I give you a couple of examples. I think we're there now where I can give you uh, a couple of examples. And the release is such, it is like a flood. Not only is the release just gone, but the cleanliness, the freedom, the shame that is gone, the, all that stuff it floods in. And that's why people often cry. So let me ask you, before I go to my examples, let me ask you this. Is there someone in your life that you ought to forgive even right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Just do it in your mind and in your heart. God is quite aware of it. And you say, but I can't, but God will help you. Well, the pain was too great. Okay, maybe you're not ready, but you have to get ready sometime. Don't neglect it. Don't play with it. Do it. It was such a free such a free. I gave you some examples. I was going to give you talk about a bit of influence, but let, let me just give you some examples. Remember this week? This week, somebody walked out of prison that was the number one accomplice in kidnapping Elizabeth Smart. Could you forgive such a person? Amen, brother? A- amen. I-, I want them to think about it just a little bit. But you're, uh, you're, you're, 100, you're 100% right. You're 100%. We have to. We have to. We have to. Well, <laughs> I can if it is somebody else's daughter. <laughs> but if it's my daughter, <laughs> tough for her. I'm buying me whatever, and I'm waiting on her for a good moment, and, you know, no, hey, get rid of it. Let it go. Um, have you seen the movie, I Can Only Imagine? Have you seen it? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay, not very many of you. We, we actually have the movie, and I'd love to... Huh? No, no, I won't, I won't. <laughs> well, well, don't spoil... Okay, I, I, I won't spoil the ending. I would, just, I would just say, I'd love to show it here some night and just have a movie night. 
because it's a glorious, it's a glorious uh, a movie. So I, I, won't, I won't give you the ending. Um, you, you all know, hmm? I can only imagine. And that's, uh, that's how the song came about anyways. But, um, you remember a guy named Roni? Roni? Jordan? The guy that some of us went to Israel with? Okay, Roni has been here a couple of times. And Roni's mom, Roni is Jew from, uh, from origin. Roni's mom was a survivor of the Holocaust. Roni was trying to share the gospel with his mom. And she just couldn't get to the place of forgiving those Nazis. And Roni said to his mom, 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 70 years ago, so many of them, most of them are already in their grave. And from their grave, they are still haunting you. Mom, they're still haunting you. Give it up. Be set free. At that point, she did. I have some more, a couple of more examples. Uh, and then, then. Corrie ten Boom. Have you heard of Corrie ten Boom? Most of you all say Corrie ten Boom. It's Boom. It's a Dutch name. So you say double O is O. Corrie. <laughs> it's not Corrie. It's Corrie. Corrie ten Boom. But I mean, you can say Corrie ten Boom. It's, it's okay. I, I, I like for you to say it. Corrie was in a, in a, in a prison camp and... Uh, She's the one that got out. Her sister Betsy got, got killed and so on and so forth. But she was out, and then she, was, she is one of the great evangelists of our time, yes? She was unbelievable, a, a woman of tremendous faith. And she is in Germany uh, giving a talk, a, a, a sermon, if you will, a speech, whatever you want, a presentation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and her presentation was on forgiveness. After her presentation, this gentleman walks up to her and says, Ma'am, ma'am, your sir, ma'am, uh, I was a Nazi soldier that was in the camp there with you. And I'm coming to ask you for forgiveness. Corey had a crisis of faith. She wasn't sure she could do it. A preacher of the gospel. One of the great evangelists of our time. But it didn't take her very long to come to the point. Yes. Yes. And as soon as he came to her, all these images came back on her, in her mind that we're going to put her in prison again. Not the Nazi camp. A camp worse than that. But she forgave him or set free. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Somebody, brothers and sisters, this grace thing is one of the things that makes us look like Jesus out there and in here. Makes us look like Jesus. And my brothers and sisters, ultimately, the only thing that I have that is visible to people it's my testimony. 
My testimony. If they don't see Jesus in me, I, I, I can never have an audience. They might listen. Ding, ding. You know, but I have no credibility. There's no weight to my words. This is the thing that I have. Is my, and I, I want to encourage you to guard your testimony like a great treasure. Because that's what it is. Don't just blow it like that. Because your flesh is standing up and rebellious and wants to get you to mess up. Don't fall from your steadfastness, as it says in verse 17. Um, so, I, I, I'm going to finish with this, and, and then we're, 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 I think we're done. Maybe next time we can talk about knowledge. Um, where was I? Tell you, I'll tell you where I was. Uh, yes, okay, here. So when I think about, when I think about uh, grace, there's some images that come to me. Does it come to you? Images when you talk about grace? When you think about grace? There's images. That, one of the images that comes to me is like the extra mile. Going the extra mile. It's one of the images that comes to me. Uh, another image that comes to me is the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. Uh, extra mile. Inherent to the words, going the extra mile. Inherent to that is the understanding that you have gone already at least one mile. Otherwise, the word extra doesn't have any meaning. <laughs> Isn't that true? So, uh, I, I don't want us to, to, to misunderstand language. <laughs> you have gone at least one mile. If not more. But let's say, you have, okay, you have gone that one mile. Okay, and and, and the, the word of God is talking about an extra mile. And so, you go that. The problem, our problem is, is that when we go one mile, we're so proud of our one mile. But brothers and sisters, the difference is in the extra mile. That is the difference. You remember how the first mile came to be? And the extra mile came to be? It's when a Roman soldier was asking some of the Christians to carry his bag. Hey, to the next marker over there, one mile. Carry it for me. And the, the Roman soldier, as the, as the Christian man was carrying the, the bag, it was a heavy bag. You know, he had different uh, Christians carry, carry it for miles, different miles. And, he, and the, the Roman soldier was sort of, you know, smirking a little bit. <laughs> I got him, he carries for me a mile. So he came to the one-mile mark, and he, and he keeps on going. An extra mile. And the Roman soldier is thinking, what are you doing? And he didn't just carry an extra mile. He carried it an extra mile with a smile. <laughs> that will freak you out. <laughs> you know, you thought it was a burden to him. Then he carries it another, another mile. And you take notice of things like that. It is in the second mile, in the extra mile, that there, there's a, the difference, my brothers and sisters. In your life, 
out there and in here, at the bank, in the store, at the restaurant, in your family, at work, wherever my traffic, wherever it might be. Oh, in traffic, oh God. <laughs> it is going the extra mile that makes a difference, that gives you the privilege of being able to speak to them about Jesus. They may believe you otherwise. But this gives you an audience. This earns you an audience. That people take note and want to hear what you have to say. Because what you say is not just trying to convince people of something. It is trying to confirm what they have already seen. Now, there is many occasions where you don't have a chance to... To, uh, to earn an audience. You, you used in the elevator or, in, you know, I've gone to prison to share the gospel. You don't know the guy. You don't have time to relate to them all that much. You talk a little bit, and then you, you share the gospel. He, he, but he knows some things about you. He knows some things about you that you didn't come over there, and you got paid a lot of money. He knows that you came on your own expense, and you took, a, took, took uh, off work, and you had to pay for the hotel, and to pay for the gasoline, and, and, and you didn't get paid for, your, for, for work time, and you came just to be with them. So there's already a testimony, so I've already earned the audience at least a little bit. So, and then you have credibility when you speak to people. And don't you want credibility when you speak to people? But it's not just about credibility when you speak to people. It's about your victory in this life. My dear brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to be gracious with your spouse. To be gracious with your children. To be gracious with your brothers and sisters. To be gracious with your co-workers. To be gracious in the restaurant. To be gracious everywhere. And all the time. Best you can. Are you going to slip up sometimes? Yes. But when you do, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Go apologize. There's also a graciousness about that. When you have slipped up and you've done wrong, go apologize. In your marriage, when you slipped up and you've done wrong, go apologize. <laughs> Anyways. Let us stand.